It's WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Upfront program, Friday, July 1st, 2022. And uh, today, uh, we've invited uh, Melissa Murray, state senator, to uh, join us. She's in studio. How are you doing today? Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. Nice to have you along. This is part of our series of programs on uh, Meet the Candidates. Um, and uh, we keep uh, bringing in uh, different uh, different people uh, who are uh, Democrats, who are Republicans, independents, if there are any out there. And, um, and what we do is uh, chat about their candidacy, and we're going to do that uh, today. Melissa has a long list of... Um, of legislative initiatives that she introduced and uh, from my uh, point of view uh, a lot of them got through uh this yeah. was a good year for you right this was a good year last year was a very good year it was mm-hmm. a good session for me we're going to review all that stuff uh, with melissa in a second because she is uh, running for uh, re-election and that is what we're uh, going to be doing from now until uh, the september primary and then after the september primary to the november elections introducing the candidates and let them tell you their story and uh, see if uh, you would like to uh, bring them back to office or see if you'd like to make a change. However, before we interview Melissa, we're going to uh, go to our live line. And uh, this is every Friday. We chat with uh, Bob Martin from Crossroads Real Estate Group here in Woonsocket. Bob, are you there? I am, Roger. Nice to have you there. And um, you would think I'm, I'm ready for your uh, question today, huh? I just printed it. <laughs> I just printed it in the printer, but I don't know what happened to it. Do you have a copy? Do you have a copy of the question today? Yeah, I do. All right, good. So, well, uh, it looks like you're going to have to. Uh, you're going to do your own question and your own answer. Just sit back and listen. I, I don't know what. I, I must have dropped it on the floor or something. That's old age. What is the question today? Well, the question is that that a gentleman just went through his reval, which is, you know, in Woonsocket. Uh, he owns two lots. So the, he has a home, his home on one lot, and what he said is he has a, an adjoining lot that is uh, that's got nothing on it um, that has street frontage <clears throat> that's the five thousand square feet. So I'm assuming fifty by hundred, and it was assessed at fifty two thousand and change, if I remember correctly. And he said he's been told by friends that if in fact he merged that lot, which he'd be able to do. With his, so let's assume he has a 5,000-square-foot lot with his house on it. This is five. He would now have a 10,000-square-foot lot with his house on it. Would he save money? Uh, the simple answer to that is absolutely he would in the short term. So a, right now it's being, it's just because of its value, I, can, I know it's being assessed as a buildable lot, which, in fact, it could very well be. Uh, depending on a lot of the things that we don't have time to get into, the topography, is there water and sewer in the street, et cetera. But let's assume that's all the case. Um, and he wanted to sell that lot today, and he doesn't his, – his, his house is right on the property line, so he's not impairing the value of his house by selling that. Right now he's cutting the grass, and it looks good. Um, if he were to sell that today, yeah, he probably could get in the 50s. <clears throat> if he merges it, that value – uh, and I'm not the assessor, will probably go down as maybe two bucks a square foot because it's all it is, it's ancillary square footage on an existing lot. So 
the, the assessment could go down on his home, which it would be linked to the home, well, maybe like, would probably reduce it by $40,000. So he'd be t- paying taxes on $40,000 of assessment less. So that's all the good news. Um, what they has to be careful on, and this has happened to, well, not numerous, but not, it's happened to quite a few people in the years that I've been, you know, in business, is they do that thinking that, oh, when it comes time for me to sell my home, I'm just going to make that $5,000, a 5,000 square foot lot exist again, and I'm going to sell it. Because although I don't want to be bothered with a house next door, if I sell my house, what do I care? Well, once he merges that, the thing is in Winsocket right now, there are no more, there's no more zoning for 5,000 square foot lots. So that lot is probably, if they were to build today, you'd need somewhere between six and 10,000, depending on zoning. Once you merge it, you will not ever be able to unmerge it, if, I, if I'm saying that correctly. So what he has to weigh in is the savings and taxes over the years sufficient enough for him for him to pass on possibly a fifty, sixty thousand dollars sale at the time that he decides he wants to move on that piece of property. Um, fifty, sixty thousand pays an awful lot of taxes. So, generally speaking, the answer is if the lot is you know flat and buildable, it's not a you know a, a, a decline or it's not a hole. But let's say it would be attractive to a builder. He's better off paying the taxes now and uh, keeping it separate. Um, the other thing he needs to check on is, is he still getting two tax bills? Because sometimes people assume they have two, two lots, and all of a sudden they're getting one tax bill. Well, if they're getting one tax bill, that means that the city of Winsocket has merged it for them, which they have the right to do. Um, the only way to protect against that is the lots have to be owned strictly, and that's called checkerboarding. It has to be owned by, say, he owns the house, his wife owns the lot, in which case the, they can't be merged, but that's a story for a different day and you don't have time to go through all of that so but yes he would save immediate money and if he says i would never sell that lot with you when i when it comes time to sell my house a lot will go with it and merge if he says you know what yeah i could sell this separately or we could you know he could inquire with someone to, to see the the viability of doing that i would pay my taxes on the high on the higher assessment and and wait for the score when it comes time to sell yeah, a lot of those 5,000-square-foot lots, I think I get a couple on my street, Prospect Street, uh, they, they're they all over the place, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. And, uh, you know, it used to be the zoning. So if you had a, a subdivision of 20 lots and 18 got built on or someone bought two lots and only built on one, that lot stayed that way. And as long as it's on record that way, you cannot deny someone the beneficial use of their property. Uh, so if, in fact, um, it gets sold, um, you know, you can sell it. What we, we oftentimes do if we see something like this and he's ready to sell the house uh, is we, we have the buyer purchase the lot in one name, purchase the house in another, and that way there they cannot be merged. Because if you buy them under the same names, the city will merge them. So that that other lot will disappear and its value will disappear with it. Okay. Well, thank you, Mr. Bob Martin of Crossroads Real Estate Group. Always a pleasure pleasure charting, charting with you. And uh, we'll uh, talk to you next Friday at the same time and station. All right? Very good, Roger. Okay. Have a good Bye-bye. 4th of July. Will do. 4th of July to you, too, Mr. Martin. And that's our weekly feature. 
And uh, we usually uh, have a question of the week that we answer, and today was no um, no different. We're going to play one commercial, then we'll get into interviewing Melissa Murray, and uh, we'll let's see. Uh, before I play that commercial, tell me if my information is right. The last time uh, when I had uh, Senator uh, De La Cruz and I uh, read off the stuff uh, that I got from the website, it was not exactly up to date. But it says here, Senator Melissa Murray. Vice chair, uh, vice chairwoman of the Senate Committee on Special Legislation and Veterans Affairs. Correct. And a member of the Senate Committee on Finance. Yes. All right. Uh, any other um, any other designations? Although once you get on finance, I don't know where you. You really don't want anything else. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's um, a blessing and a curse, right? right. right. Um, I'm a member of the uh, Permanent Joint Committee on State Lottery. Yes. And I, you know, I see that right here. I just had to read down one line. Hey, we'll uh, chat with you in just a moment. But first of all, uh, let's check in with uh, some of our uh, sponsors, or at least one sponsor. Lifetime Weight Loss, LLC, located at 250 Eddie Dowling Highway in North Smithfield. Ask yourself, Rhode Island, are you looking to achieve the weight loss results you want and deserve? Are you looking for a structured program that can put an end to constant dieting? If you answered yes, then call 401-300-7540. They offer a sensible, supervised, medically developed weight loss program with over 10 years of success. Learn to sustain weight loss for life and maintain muscle while burning fat. Lasting results resets your metabolism. Lose an average of two to six pounds per week. If you make a commitment to losing weight and developing smart lifestyle choices, Lifetime Weight Loss LLC will teach you how to achieve these goals. Call 401-300-7540 or visit them online at LifetimeWeightLossLLC.com. Let's meet for lunch or dinner at the Roast House. Their menu offers something for everyone. Seafood and chicken, roasts, steaks, and chops. Appetizers and their rotation of the heartiest soups in the area. Open Sunday through Thursday, 1130 to 9. Friday and Saturday, 1130 to 10 p.m. Now, here are some of the delicious choices awaiting you at the Roast House. And right now, I'm looking at that Roast House luncheon menu starting at 1130 this morning. And today, I'm going to feature my favorite... And for $8.99, you're going to get yourself a generous tuna salad melt. This is your choice of uh, bread buttered. And uh, then it's uh, grilled stuffed uh, tuna, the white albacore tuna. So good. It's uh, made into a salad. You can have American cheese with it, but you can have Swiss like I do. And then your choice of one side, my favorite coleslaw, and a pickle from uh, the deli counter there, and it's $8.99. It's the luncheon menu, and there are a lot of other goodies, too, including a corn beef sub-melt or a Cajun grilled haddock uh, plate, or uh, maybe uh, the uh, roast beef or roast turkey hot open face sandwich. You'll find it right there at the Roast House, open for lunch today at 1130. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right. Melissa Murray, uh, District 24, Woonsocket uh, Democrat. A little bit of uh, Woonsocket, a little bit of North Smithfield. We'll find out how much of a little bit. Uh, Melissa served two terms on the Woonsocket City Council before elected to the Rhode Island Senate in 2018. 
Uh, so maybe we can ask you a couple of, um, before we get to your legislative agenda, just a couple of fun questions. Like, uh, you will not be like uh, Mayor Lisa Baldelli Hunt or Steve Casey. Both of them emerged without any candidates in the general election <laughs> or the primary. So uh, anyway, so um, so were you hoping uh, that uh, maybe uh, uh, you could join the uh, Casey Baldelli Hunt group and uh, may- maybe not have any opponents out there, but uh, maybe uh, not such a, uh, not such a fate for you? Yeah, well, sure, of course. Um, I, <laughs> I went unchallenged in 2020, and it was real shock because having run for city council twice, you always have a huge primary, you know, 15, 16, 17 people. So I'm here, I'm used to, like, running in a 14-way primary and or, or a, even more, um, and then, you know, running in a, in a 14-way general election. And... Um, when I emerged in 2020 with, with no one, I was like, how, how can this even be possible? I didn't even really know what to do with myself. But it was during the pandemic, and I think people were really preoccupied with other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, I've always encouraged people to run for office. Um, it's, and I, I respect anybody who throws their hat in the ring. It's incredibly hard to put yourself out there for public scrutiny. Um, but it's always a good thing when people run because everyone has something to bring to the table. The uh, purpose of these uh, programs is to uh, uh, not uh, interrogate our <laughs> visitors, but to uh, uh, let them explain why uh, they're worthy of another term in the Senate or the House or on the Council or School Committee. I was just uh, talking about School Committee. Uh, I was chatting with, uh, I, I think, Jeff Gamash, and I was saying that at one time I thought it was tougher to be on the City Council than on the school committee. But well, what's going down with school committees these days, um, that's uh, probably a tougher job than uh, anything. We see 15 candidates came out for city council and only six came out for school committee here in Woonsocket, including the five incumbents. Uh, I know you're not running for school committee or council, but uh, isn't that the, uh, the new tough job in Rhode Island I politics? I really think that it is. I've always felt that school committee was a really difficult job. And I always thought, even when I was on the council, that they deserved to make more money than us as mm-hmm. a stipend, at least. Um, you're dealing with a lot of emotional issues and parents and teachers and kids. Yeah. And it is not easy. I, I'm not sure that I would ever want to run uh, for school committee, but I'm very appreciative of those who do. Yes, I am, too. All right. Um, I had an embarrassing thing happen to me yesterday. So, uh, uh, but it helps me for my interview today. I was all ready to uh, interview uh, uh, Governor McKee. And uh, we were going to uh, talk about the, the budget. And I prepared, uh, you know a lot about the budget because you're on finance. But I was prepared to uh, interview him uh, about the budget. And I had all these questions here. I mean, you'd be really impressed, Melissa, with this preparation. So, uh, working, I never talked with him directly in setting up the interview. So, the time comes for the interview, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't show up. Oh, no. No, he didn't do, <laughs> he, he did not uh, do anything wrong. It's just that one of his people had him call the other station. And I think what happened is when, when they did call, and it's, uh, this is the governor calling, um, they must have said, 
what the hell is this about? <laughs> you know, they took him anyway. And uh, so I never got a chance to interview uh, Governor McKee, although we're going to reschedule that interview. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to yeah. let Jonathan Bissonette off the hook uh, on uh, screwing that up for us. But, I know uh, he's very, um, <laughs> he's really good about um, staying local to Northern Rhode Island. He really is <laughs> yeah. like... Know, held on to his roots here, so I'm sure yeah. that he will make up for that. I'm sure we will. But it's, <laughs> but on the other hand, it's helped me prepare for uh, asking about the budget. Uh, so in looking at uh, whether it was uh, a Dan McKee news release or whether it was um, a, a news story in Providence Business News, this uh, budget, um, there, who did they not miss? On this budget, I mean, it seems like everybody got a little bit of the pie. Maybe you can talk about it yeah. in general. Yeah, and so this budget encompassed the regular proposed budget and also a supplemental budget to where we were going to use those ARPA funds. And in addition to all of the hearings that the Finance Committee does, and we hear every single article of the budget, we also hear all of the bills that have a fiscal impact, which is pretty much everything. Um, we also heard proposals from different organizations who were basically pitching as to how much of the ARPA funds they would like and why those were important to them. And so we all had hearings on, on those as well. Um, these started actually, the, the, our budget, uh, our finance committee started meeting in the fall. So we started hearing these proposals in the fall. And Everyone makes a really compelling story. I mean, you have the Coalition Against Domestic Violence who say, you know, more folks than ever are seeking to get away from their partners and get out of the situation. And we could help more people. You know, we have the structures in place, but we just need the money. Um, the food banks, you know, pretty much everybody said, look, we, we can do this. We're just missing the funds. So having to make those decisions are really tough decisions, like who do you give money to, who do you not give money to. But I feel like, obviously, a lot of folks would have had to, would have liked to have had more, but there's only so much to go around. So I, I do think it was well dispersed. I think a lot of good organizations got money, um, a lot of uh, money going to housing to create more housing. Um, small business help. It really was dispersed, I think, pretty, pretty, as fairly as possible. Some might, some might not agree, but. Well, let's take uh, housing as an example. Now, the money is, is um, in a state budget. So how do we here in uh, your two uh, areas of concern, uh, Winsocket and Usmerfield, how do we get access and pull down some of that money from the state allocation, uh, is it a is it uh, awarded by agency, or do agencies have to apply for it, or do we have to even create new agencies to uh, spend that money? So the housing is not um, my strong point, um, and I also know when you talk about affordable housing, there isn't really the palette here to um, create certain types of affordable housing. Although I do. There's a certain distinction, and it's really important, between um, affordable by subsidy and affordable by design. And we definitely, definitely need more affordable housing for people. I'm hearing even from my constituents that they just can't find housing that is, you know, within their budget. Um, so there is a housing... Even affordable housing. Even, right, right. Is unaffordable. I mean, affordable housing some is really Some of the rents I hear are yeah, outrageous. It is really outrageous, and it's really, really tough right now. Um, it, it's crazy. Um, 
I was looking around and just amazed at like how much the rents have gone up in just the past few years. So there it was, um, housing czar created uh, in the last budget, and that position had gone unfilled for a long time um, to kind of oversee the whole process, make sure everything is doled out fairly, but obviously it really depends on the municipality and what the municipality's needs are. Um, but as far as like how that money is um, doled out, I'm not super familiar with that process. Housing, again, is not my strong point. So, Well, when we get back to the governor, when we finally get yeah, to him, right. we'll ask him about I, that. And again, I'm sure he'll be much obliged. Uh, Roe versus Wade, you have taken your hits, you've taken your criticism. I'm sure, sure people have threatened you on this. Uh, so I think we already... I've been called some nasty yeah. things. So yes. I don't think it's any secret what your position uh, is, so therefore... We'll move to the to the situation of Roe versus Wade National. Yep. But I think Rhode Island had addressed this long before the decision. So is there really anything more we have to do in Rhode Island as far as um, new legislation to uh, to protect the rights of women um, than uh, what we had already accomplished in other legislative sessions or. Is there still work to be done? Well, I think that depends on who you ask. Um, I will say that I was told a lot, I don't know why you're worried about this. This is a waste of time. Roe will never be overturned. Um, but really, some of us really felt, especially when we saw Kavanaugh being confirmed, that this was something that needed to be addressed here. Um, and so in 2019, we codified existing law, didn't expand the law, it didn't allow for, you know, abortion up until the day of birth. That is a trope that is completely untrue. Um, but what it did was just allowed everything to stay the same if and when Roe got overturned. And so we're in a good position here in Rhode Island where women have safe access um, to abortion. But there is, uh, there are a group of folks that are concerned because it is not covered under certain medical plans. Mm -hmm. And that is the next big fight. Then the thing that we're hearing in this state is that some people feel that all medical plans, including uh, Medicaid plans and other managed care plans, should cover abortion. And other people really vehemently believe that that should not be funded. So that is the next big fight here. But as far as access, you can access the, the care that you need, which is really important. Right. So access not affected because we already took care of that. Right. Uh, but uh, funding for certain parties out there. Some, some people do get the funding, some don't. Correct, depending on what insurance <laughs> you have and what the procedure is, yeah. Okay, now in uh, other parts of the country, uh, this is a whole different debate because... Sure. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Right. Like uh, Missouri or something like that. Yes. But, um, but we're interviewing you in Rhode Island. That's right. Okay. This legislative session, um, my, um, as a layman, I would say that uh, if I were a person with uh, diabetes, uh, this might be uh, uh, a, good, um, a good session for me in terms of, of getting help and, and paying for... Um, certain medication. Why don't you uh, tell me what your record was in this General Assembly session on that? Sure. So 
I put in bills starting three years ago to limit the cost of insulin. Um, my original bill was a $50 cap for per 30-day supply. And the first year that I put that in, it didn't go anywhere. And I was really disappointed. But it gave me the opportunity to make the bill better. And I worked with the American Diabetes Association. And they helped me to craft a better bill. And so the second year that it got put in, which was last year, um, it was a $50 for 30-day supply, and it would not, you would not have to reach the deductible on your insurance in order for that cap to be taken advantage of. And that was a really, really um, big part of the bill that I think got a lot stronger. And um, there were some other bills that had different amounts, and it was negotiated down, actually, to $40 per 30-day supply. And, you know, when I first ran for office, when I first ran for Senate, I always told people that big pharma was greedy we all know that and that i was really concerned that so many people would have to choose between paying their rent paying their utilities and trying to pay for groceries and affording their life-saving medications because diabetes affects many people it can be managed but if it's not managed you can actually lose your life, lose a limb. Um, but there really isn't need to, for that to happen if managed properly. And we're hearing more and more about people who were rationing their insulin. Um, and here in the United States in, in 2022, there's no need for anybody to be rationing their insulin simply because they can't. They can't obtain their insulin because of cost. Because the insulin has basically remained the same since when it was first formulated, but the cost has increased 550%, which is just greed, <laughs> just greed. And so that bill passed last year. I put in another bill this year to take it even farther because I knew the insurance companies were doing things like, oh, we're going to let, let the cap go on, you know, the little pens with our, that are filled with insulin, but then we're also going to charge you for the needles to put on the end, which obviously you would need to administer. And people were kind of being able to afford their insulin, but not their glucose testing supplies or their insulin pumps, which are really expensive. So I put a bill in um, that would cap insulin, uh, glucose testing administration and insulin supplies for $25 per month or $25 if that single item was for use for more than 30 days. Um, it passed the Senate. It, uh, it got held up in the House, unfortunately. So that's something that I will definitely go back and push for. And again, not having to meet your deductible before you're able to do this is really important. So how do you get interested in uh, diabetes uh, legislation? Uh, is it um, something that was brought by a constituent, uh, something you ran across in your family, and secondly, you mentioned uh, the American Diabetes Association, Rhode Island chapter. How important is a <clears throat> lobbying group like that? I mean, it's in their interest to promote uh, diabetes, um, shall we say, uh, cost reduction. That would be one of the things sure. that they would be interested in. Uh, are they helpful in, uh, in helping you get the background you need to uh, write the legislation? Yeah, so I first got interested in it because... Um I was talking to a friend um, and uh, sh who got very ill and couldn't afford the insulin. 
and their their insurance wouldn't cover it. And I said, this is this is just crazy and the amount that they were having to pay. Um, so I started doing a little homework and I started seeing that other that other states were putting in insulin caps. And so I said, well, you know, if other states are doing it, I think that we should do it as well. And I, I put the bill in the first year. And it wasn't until the second year that the, um, the, someone reached out to me from the American Diabetes Association. His name is Stephen Habe. He's really wonderful. And um, said, you know, we'd like to help you with this. They've worked with other states. They helped me with the wording and how to get the wording right mm-hmm. to where it would optimally benefit the patient. And that was a really, really important part of the process. It was a learning process for me. All right. Uh, and so... Is diabetes the only medical issue that you're interested in in uh, this uh, session? And uh, are there senators and reps, uh, let's say, interested in uh, Alzheimer's or something like sure, that? Sure, yeah. So everyone do you bre- has, break it down? Yeah. Actually, everyone has their, their niche. Um, you know, when you first get elected, you want to do all of the things. Um, but you very quickly learn that, you know, some people have been working on certain issues for a really long time. And they're kind of... Um, not specialists, but, you know, they're the go-to person for, for that. And there are people working, um, for instance, um, Madam Whip Goodwin, um, because of her own experience with colon cancer, was putting in colon cancer uh, bills to benefit mm-hmm. patients. So everyone has that kind of um, niche that they're passionate about. And when you focus, it allows you to really dig deeper. But I would, of course, like to see caps on on many different prescriptions because i just cost of prescriptions is is out of control especially now with inflation i'm very worried about folks being able to afford their their life-saving medications and those are life-saving medications right and uh, you know like uh, i have one uh, medication that's for my eyes and uh, it is a a bottle uh you can see my fingers are about that big it's like 270 dollars you know and I'm saying it cannot, I don't care how much research and development goes into this, it cannot be that expensive. It's greed. Right. It, it's, it's greed. Corporate greed, RX greed. I'm glad there are only drops that go in. Beep. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> right, right. And, that, and it's, it's not right. <laughs> Got an interesting question for you. Now, I, this question goes on and on and on. But um, I'm going to kind of like um, turn it into... Um, I think a question that would be interesting to our audience. This is good morning, Roger. I was hoping you to ask Melissa an important question. How does she feel about fair and open government? All right. And then it goes on. It's all about the gun debate, uh-huh. right? And it goes on and on and it says it's not, they, they don't think that, uh, that you were very nice in, in dealing with them. But the point is that on the gun debate, or on the abortion issue, or on any controversial issue, a senator or a rep has to take a stand, and then there's a whole bunch of people on the other side that um, are completely the opposite. Of course, and yeah, always. So you have to deal with them. So now mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to take her, her question, do you believe in fair and open government? What happens when you're on one side of an issue and at the state house, people are in your face and saying uh, and, and pointing at you, you should be doing this. How does... How do you, how is decorum kept or or sometimes maybe decorum isn't kept? It must be confrontational 
at times. It can be, and I can. And the two big issues that I think that I have experienced that was the abortion issue mm-hmm. and the gun legislation, right. where they're both hot button, super controversial, for the most part, to, you know, two sided issues, and you take a stance, and you're on one side or the other, and at the end of the day. Um, comes up for a vote and you vote um i mean i've seen people walk on votes i i don't think that's the right thing to do you explain that term for our uh, our audience somebody walks on a vote you're, you're, let's use the senate as an example what sure. does that mean sure that would mean <clears throat> that if a really um controversial or uncomfortable or difficult issue came up and they um opened up the voting and everybody presses their, you know, green button or their red button. That that might be um, a really convenient time for you to just have to use the restroom and mm-hmm. and walk on it. And you've seen that happen. Sure, in both houses, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, that. Have you ever done it? I have not. Okay. And boy, <laughs> yeah, taken some I thought heat. I got you there. No, <laughs> um, nope. I was not elected to sit out votes, mm-hmm. and and you. Uh, you take a stance and you, you know, believe what you believe and there are always going to be people that are, uh, disagree with you. But at the end of the day, you're accountable for your vote. Um, you know, yes or no. And somebody's always going to be upset with you. Um, yeah. but, but these issues, there were folks in the gallery who um, were made to leave because they were, you know, getting rowdy and... Mm-hmm. and the same thing with with the abortion issue, and we could hear folks, you know, yelling in the hallways and chanting in the hallways right behind the door, um, and that can be and that can be really intimidating. It really, really can. Um, in one instance, these folks were shouting a certain person's name to sway them to vote, and um, you just have to be able to lay your head on the pillow at night and know that you voted your your conscience and what you believe, and that. Folks are going to disagree with you. Uh, I would never have asked you this question if you didn't know something about the uh, Rhode Island lottery. So I'm going <laughs> to throw it your way. Um, so I go uh, into Massachusetts because we have a couple of our advertisers like Hilltop Farms. Yep. And uh, another one uh, is Bob's Beer and Wine. They, they sell Massachusetts lottery tickets. And um, when I'm in there, the, those are accounts of the radio station, when I'm in there... Rhode Islanders are in there like crazy. Yeah, they are. So, um, is Rhode Island lottery, um, you know, as as it relates to scratch tickets and things like that, are, are we competitive? Do we do a do we do a good amount of business anyway uh, with the with the Rhode Island lottery, or is it um, maybe something that uh, we could be more competitive with? I don't know. You tell me. So there are so many different new scratch tickets. I receive. Uh, <laughs> I'll have I can't even number one thirty-one. If, if you, yeah, right. Um, if you can think of a theme, dogs, cats, whatever, we've done it. Um, every week, or every two weeks or so, I get a packet um, telling me. You know, what's been sold, and I get a, a sample, which has obviously been already scratched off, of, a, of the new tickets so that I'm familiar with them. But there are so, so many. But it is a huge source of revenue for Rhode Island. It's the third largest revenue source. So um, it's it, we try to stay competitive uh, the best we can, you know. And um, the, the casinos... 
shutting down um, hurt us. But mm-hmm. we're we're pretty much back up to where we were, and um, we are pretty much from our last meeting. We're pretty much where we they were predicting that we would be. So they've come back strong, and actually, um, the scratch tickets were very very popular during um, the pandemic when folks couldn't go to the casino. Like they were they were buying scratch tickets, um, or they couldn't when the bars were closed. We lost a lot of money on Kino. There wasn't any place to play Kino, yeah. so those things are coming back. Um, I do think that we are pretty pretty competitive. I can't believe the things that we um, come out with, mm-hmm. but I think that you know being so close to the border too, um, people do both. People do both because, like so you said, Hilt- Hilltop's Massa- right right down the street. So you're saying some Massachusetts people come and buy in Rhode Island too. Uh, I don't have those stats. I would yeah, imagine they yeah. must. Oh, you know, you always have that thing in your head like, oh, well, maybe if I buy it in a different state, I'll be, you know, the mm-hmm. odds are better. I don't know why. <laughs> yes. Well, like when you go travel and you buy a lottery ticket out of town for some reason because you think maybe, like, you're going to be that random winner. I'm always fascinated <laughs> to watch them and how they choose. I'll have number 41, number 63, and number 102. Because uh, folks who who bet regularly they um are creatures of habit and they like the certain like i've seen it in um in table games i've seen it in um lottery uh, video machines where people always like they have they like to go to a certain one because that's the one that they like so i would imagine that maybe scratch tickets are the same all right i looked at them and i'm like i I don't know. The one for $2, I don't know. <laughs> so Rhode Island lottery Not revenue is divided into three areas. Casino <clears throat> revenue. Tape, yep. Uh, yep. And then there's a, what I call electronic revenue like Kino. And uh, and then there's the scratch ticket type of re- revenue. Uh, and that seems to be the three areas that the money comes in, right? Yeah. And with Casino, it's, it's table games and what they call VLT. Mm-hmm. Which are video um, video lottery, which are like you know the stand up mm-hmm. games that you play that are electronic. So you do, and uh, I'm going to leave a uh, lottery for uh, in a, in a moment. But uh, do you uh, spend much time on that, or is that more just getting a report every month? We uh, get a re- we get a report every single month, and then we'll get a yearly report in a mm-hmm. in a binder. But do you ever meet with those people, or is not, or is that a pretty autonomous uh, agency that pretty much runs itself? No, they uh, they gave us a pretty full update every month. Mm-hmm. Um, the meetings used to be held. Um, at the casino, but that now we meet at the state house post post COVID. So mm-hmm. I, I was not on the um, on the commission then. I just got appointed to that commission, so I wasn't there for those. <laughs> Melissa Murray is with us, state senator. I don't so, often go into casinos. I will tell you that. But. Right. Yeah, you won't <laughs> see not, me. I'm not a I'm not a gambler. Right. We won't run <laughs> run into each other there either. No, no, no. I do not. Also, anyway. Uh, State Senator Melissa Murray is in the studio, Senatorial District 24. And uh, looking at the uh, way it works, um, uh, you do not have to deal with a primary. Your two opponents are Republicans, and they're going to have to uh, uh, battle it out, Mr. Craig Lockacher and David Slavin. Do you, do you know either one of these guys? Uh, I no, know one not, of them. Not personally. I no, know Mr. Lockacher, but I don't know who Mr. Slavin is. Anyway, they're... Uh, going to be on the primary ballot, and uh, one of them will be on the ballot. And so you will 
go right <clears throat> to the ballot in November. Okay. Right to the general. Yes. We'll be back in a moment. Seven-day-a-week dining at Grumpy's. Quality dining, casual dining. Remember, we have luncheons Monday through Friday starting at noontime, $5.99 and up. And then Monday through Thursday, our $10 dinner special starting at 4 p.m. You might find baked manicotti on the menu or honey jack chicken or our special oven-baked meatloaf. Monday through Thursday, $10 dinner special starting at 4 at Grumpy's. Or you can select from our regular menu with so many many choices. And our kitchen is open on Friday and Saturday night till midnight for your convenience. So, for quality dining, come on into Grumpy's Restaurant, holding our prices during these inflationary times. Pulaski Boulevard, South Bellingham, Massachusetts. Kayer Kosher, your accounting, financial planning, tax preparation, and business consulting services of Woonsocket and Warwick. 600 Cass Avenue, Woonsocket, Jefferson Boulevard, and Warwick. Call us locally at 766-8100. Remember, outside of the tax season, we do planning for business, individuals, and families. We're Kayer Kosher. We're certified public accountants. Again, our local number, 766-8100. And remember, having Kayer Kosher to consult with on your personal financial situation is like having all the right answers. All right, Kay Akasha, thank you, certified public accountants. Want to remind you that Friday night is Fish Fry Night at the Woonsocket Elks here in Woonsocket. And uh, a couple of things happen on Fridays. First of all, on Fridays at the Elks, we have uh, luncheons. If you want to go for lunch today at the Elks, you can. You can enjoy fish bites like uh, fish and chips and chowder and clam cakes. Or... You can go to Fish Fry Night between 5 and 7.30 at the Elks and enjoy fish and chips for $12. And um, you can have fish only if you want. Chowder and clam cakes, baked fish. And if you don't like fish and you're with somebody who does, uh, you can have a steak sandwich or a steak and cheese sandwich with fries, 10 or $11 respectively. And on Saturday night at Woonsocket Elks, we have live entertainment from 8 to midnight, no cover charge. And the general public is invited. Yeah, you can actually, I know a lot of people think the door is locked and you can't get in. Yes, you can get into the Elks. Saturday night, July 2nd, Secondhand Smoke is the name of the group. Secondhand Smoke at the Elks on Saturday night. All right, now the Elks advertisement is done. I have one more to tell you about, and that's the Honey Shop. And uh, they're at Upper Park Avenue, 1300 Park Avenue. They do a couple of things. Number one is uh, they do these uh, workshops, uh, seminars, um, educational forums. I don't know what you want to call them. Depends on what they are. Um, one might be going in the woods uh, foraging for uh, mushrooms and greens and things like that. And another might be uh, learning how to cook Mexican cuisine or Italian cuisine. We have a couple of workshops on that. And another one might be wood burning. So you can see a variety of different workshops at the honey shop. And then, of course, what we were known for and what we were established for. Honey. We have honey. And we have it in all kinds of, uh, of sizes and all kinds of different honey, too. And uh, then we have uh, all kinds of other things, too, for gift giving. Well, the honey shop at 1300 Park Avenue in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. We're open uh, every day of the week. And we certainly hope you'll uh, stop by. Remember, if you love food. You'll love us at the Honey Shop. And now, if you want to uh, check on a seminar, uh, you know, wine making, beer making, things like that, 
Uh, here is the number to call because uh, we um, we invite you to uh, get further information. 766-1488. 766-1488. Gourmet foods, health foods, and natural remedies from the honey shop. Let's get back to interviewing Melissa. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Meet the candidates every Friday and uh, other days, too. And we're going to uh, do that all through the election season. And I called uh, Melissa, emailed her, and uh, she agreed to come on the program and uh, talk about uh, her candidacy uh, for re-election. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit now. Uh, so you've been a council member, and you've been a senator, and um, it looks like this is uh, where you've found your niche, so to speak. I like being a senator. I'm running again. Uh, yeah. Why are you doing that? Uh, it sounds like a lot, of, especially on Senate Finance. And are you going to ask to stay on Senate Finance to get reelected? <laughs> Funny, I was never, I never asked to be on Senate Finance. Um, but my very first year, they put me on it because I had municipal experience um, passing budgets. And I was the only newcomer who had previous experience with that. And so it's been, as I said before, a blessing and a curse. Um, you do learn a little bit about everything. It's a lot of long nights, but you really have the opportunity to really dig into the areas that you care about. I just wanted to touch on like one thing that was in the budget this year that um, I think is didn't get really enough uh, press. So I've been working on a pension bill for four years, and it had to do with um, retirees who live in Rhode Island, but work in Massachusetts. They draw their pen, mostly teachers. Um, they draw their pensions from Massachusetts and they pay taxes on their pensions in Massachusetts. And then when they draw their pensions, they, ta- they also tax them in Rhode Island. So they get double whacked for their, for their um, taxes on their pensions. So I put in a bill um, four years now to eliminate that double tax because I felt that it was horribly unfair. You know, people work their whole lives and plan uh, for their retirement and plan to have a certain amount of money and it just doesn't seem fair to get double taxed. Um, so a version of that bill got passed this year. It was not uh, anywhere near the version um, that was original. But it did pass and now the increase for the tax exemption on all pensions has has increased. So there was an exemption for the first $15,000. It got increased to twenty. And the thing about bills like that, when they have a fiscal note, and the fiscal note is quite high, being on the finance committee, you're really poised to be able to lobby for them to get put into the budget. And that did get put into the budget. So for anybody um, who has a certain uh, private, federal, state, or local um, or military pension, which obviously the military pensions are going to be completely phased out, they will see a savings there and they won't pay quite so much taxes. And it's, again, not where we wanted to be when we started off, but it's incremental and I think it's going to help a lot of people who are struggling to make ends meet right now. And retired teachers <clears throat> uh, do not have a strong uh, lobby behind them. Uh, they used to be in the union. But now that they're not in the union anymore, 
the AFT or the NEA uh, doesn't, um, you know, particularly advocate for yeah, this kind of... Yeah, there's not a retired... Yeah, <laughs> right. So someone, someone's got to advocate for them. Uh-huh. Um, and so, again, you know, I know that some folks were disappointed, but this was the first time we even got a little movement, and it also benefits anybody who's drawing a pension, um, which I, I think is really important. It didn't get a lot of... Uh, didn't get a lot of news, but it it's it's going to, you know... It's going to be important for people, especially now with inflation and the cost of literally everything going up. I didn't expect to ask you who you support for governor. However, I'm going to have to ask you, and I'll tell you why. So it was not on my question list, but when Nellie Garbia was here last week, I asked her about uh, people who uh, don't pay their fair share of taxes. And this Mm -hmm. is an issue that you you are on. Yes. And... um, and she so she talked about that uh, at length, uh, maybe a, a minute or minute to two minutes, and uh, then we talked about his her new TV commercial. She wouldn't tell me anything about it because it was only being released that day. But the theme of the TV commercial that Nellie Gobier is running has to do with making sure that um, big income earners in Rhode Island pay their fair share of taxes. That was the theme of the TV spot. So then. That brought me to Melissa Murray, and I said, if that's a big issue for Nellie, and she actually incorporates it into her TV commercial, could it be that maybe that would be the person she'll be supporting for governor, or maybe somebody else? So I will tell you that um, I was on... uh I was on the Seth train. I was supporting Seth Magaziner. And uh, when he decided to run for Senate District uh, 2, I was disappointed. And I really was undecided. Um, I haven't seen that commercial. Uh, It was not my understanding that um, Nellie was in favor of um, taxing folks in the top 1%. Well, I don't know if she used the top 1%. But uh, those who weren't paying uh, high income earners who weren't paying their fair share of taxes. That sounds, me, that like, sounds like 1%. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like the top one percent. And if that is accurate, then I will absolutely support that because that is a question that I have been asking all of the candidates for governor. And I, I think that that's really important. You know, we when this when this federal money is gone, um, we have to expend it by 2026. It has very narrow uses. And once it's gone and we make all these investments with these money, how are we going to maintain those investments? How are we going to sustain um, our investments that we've made? And the answer is... Number one, well, you can cut spending in certain places, but also you need a long-term sustainable source of revenue. And um, when you have folks who are making half a million dollars or more who are paying less percent in taxes than you and I, um, it doesn't seem fair. And it's, it's all about tax equity. Well, now that you've been on the council and the uh, state senate, I consider you a political veteran and therefore you sh- should be a philosopher. So therefore, I'm the, I'm the establishment now. <laughs> therefore, I'm going to uh, finish off the interview uh, asking you about uh, what we call the political divide in the United States. Uh, we see it um, on the uh, abortion issue, the gun issue, and so forth. Yeah. But I'm going to ask you about the political divide in the General Assembly uh, as we close out. Uh, you've been there now since, uh, I think, 2018. Here it is, 2022. Uh, do we have a political divide in the General Assembly, or 
are you, because you're a small body, whether it's the Senate or the House, able to, even though you have your differences, amicably conduct business? For the most part, I would say both. Um, there's definitely a political divide, and there's even a division. Um, we only have five Republicans in the Senate, 33 Democrats, and there's a definite division even amongst the Democrats from um, certain folks who are you know, much farther left than others. And I think actually that division has deepened um, for the most part. I think that we conduct ourselves amicably on the floor. That's always been the Senate's way where, you know, we, we don't, um, you know, yell and scream at each other. And at the end of the day, we do all sit down for dinner together, um, no matter what party. We, we, we do that. And we are very much, you know, I believe once, it's, once the, uh, the discussion is done, you sit at that table and you're sitting across from, from a human being and you may not agree with them. But, you know, if we all had the same opinion, the world would be very boring, wouldn't it? Um, I think it's so important. I think decorum is important. And I think that you get more working with people with whom you may disagree, but you can find common ground. And sometimes you can't. But tweeting and yelling through a bullhorn and, um, you know, going after folks... Um, doesn't help you to to pass good legislation. I think the real key is being able to put yourself on the other side and really like understand the the issues. And again, you may not agree, but it but it's the right thing to do. And typically, when bills get passed, if everybody gets a little bit of what they want and everybody doesn't get a little bit of what they want, then that's more likely for the bill to pass because <laughs> it, it's it is about compromise. And, and some folks would say, well, you know, you, you, you're compromising your morals, but you're doing it. What you're looking at is, you know, can we come together and, and craft the best bill that everybody can agree upon that's going to benefit everybody's constituents? Wishing you the best in November. Thank you for joining Thank you us for having on me. the program. And uh, we'll talk again. Thank yes, you. Thanks. State Senator Melissa Murray joining us here on the Upfront program. Other candidates to follow for all the offices in the months to come. And that's it for the Upfront program for today. Uh, focus on law coming up in a few minutes, and we'll be answering in some legal questions on WNRI. Good day, everybody. This has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380, WNRI Woonsocket.